This is the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. Once again, Decoder Ring Theater presents another page from the casebook of that master of mystery, that sultan of sleuthing, Martin Bracknell's immortal detective, Black Jack Justice, starring Christopher Mott as Jack and Andrea Lyons as Trixie Dixon, girl detective. The name's Justice. Jack Justice. There are, I'm sure, vocations where the one that got away is a less grating prospect than in the detecting business. Fishermen, for example, seem to thrive on the notion. Come to think of it, I should probably learn to fish. Any activity where having almost caught something is a subject fit to brag about is one that Jack Justice could truly excel in. Why, I had lost count of the malefactors that I had almost caught, and done it almost single-handed. All fun aside, it is the nature of what we do. No detective, public or private, could expect to solve every case, and more than we'd care to mention simply peter away without a definitive result of any kind. Even when a real resolution is reached, often we're out of the room for the end of the story. We've moved on. We're up to our necks in another mess by the time the players have all got their just desserts. You learn to just let it go. But for every detective, there are those cases that you can't stop playing over and over. They ended badly, or unhappily, or worst of all, sometimes they didn't end at all. And for some reason, you couldn't put it on the shelf with the others. They hung around your neck and weighed you down, always with the idea that you could have done more. That somehow, if you'd just been a little bit faster, a little stronger, a little smarter, maybe it wasn't true. We weren't like the mask and tights set that were all the rage in the comic books. Leaping over tall buildings in a single bound was not my speed. And if anyone who'd hired me over the years had the contrary impression, that was just their own too darn bad. I knew all that. But I also knew the weight of those failures. Those images I'd never get out of my head. I'd have given a lot to have just one of those lifted from my shoulders. Maybe that's why we rode this one as far as we did. But I'm getting ahead of myself. We're not there just yet. We're still in the stylish offices of Justice and Dixon. I'm the strapping fellow in the short sleeves and the suspenders looking industrious over the crossword puzzle. You all know the blonde at the next desk, shooting me hateful looks of resentment. Trixie hates it when I get the puzzle first. Uh Uh-oh. Whatever it was, I didn't do it. Well, well. Lieutenant Sabian, to what do we owe the pleasure? He did it. He did it, and I will testify to it in court as soon as you tell me what it is that he did. Miss Dixon would prefer not to be arrested just now. She has a date tonight about which she is characteristically cagey, but she seems fairly serious about it. Swear on my Aunt Minnie's eyes, it was Jack. I'm completely innocent, or at least not guilty, of this, whatever it is. I didn't see any notices in the shipping news, but something must have just got into port. Did you just pop around to loom in the doorway, Lieutenant, or are you going to come in before you arrest Jack? You two should take this little act on the road, you know that? Catskills? If you can't find anywhere farther away that'll take you... You Mm. did know what brand of crazy we serve over here when you came up the stairs, didn't you? I guess I did. Coffee on? What, are you new here? I'll see if I can find you a clean cup. What's in the bag, Zabian? Hmm? Oh, a few sinkers. Not bad. Uh Uh-oh. What? Lieutenant, we have been... whatever it is we are, for more years than I care to recall. And in all that time, you have never brought me a bag of donuts. This must be serious. Mm, he's right, though. He's not bad. Trixie! What? Beware of Greeks bearing gifts. I look Greek to you? There you have it. 
you're not worried about eating that before your big date? I'll work it off later. Oh, that I did not need to know. Get your mind out of the gutter. I meant I'm going dancing. Is that a euphemism for something filthy? Gosh, I hope so. You two do know that I'm standing right here, right? Sit down before you fall down, dear lieutenant. Here is your coffee. The beans are mostly Mexican, light in color, but with a subtle whiny note. Thanks. That's it? I pitch you a quality softball like that and all I get is thanks? Sorry. On the subject of coffee, you're a complete Nancy. And thanks. Can we talk now? Okay, now this does sound serious. You two comedians ever hear of Laverne Adams? Some reason why we should? Maybe. Nobody else seems to think so, but maybe. Okay, shoot. Kind of an unfortunate choice of words, Dixon. It's just what somebody did about six weeks ago. Oh. I don't remember seeing anything in the papers. Didn't get much mileage with the society reporters. It happened out in Meadowview. Oh, one of the more ironically named slums within the city limits. The girl was black. Laverne, or Miss Adams, and yes, she was. She was also 17 and pregnant. About seven months along, according to the M.E. I take it from the girl's age there was no Mr. Adams. There was not, and stop calling her the girl. The baby's father a suspect? Everybody's a suspect, and no one is. What does that mean? Miss Adams was on the sixth floor of 226 Cedar Street, apartment 618, which was officially vacant but looked lived in to me. The few folks in the building that would actually talk to us said they knew Laverne from the neighborhood, but nobody remembered her ever being in the building before. Nobody knew a thing about apartment 618. Nobody even heard the gunshots. Nobody knew much. Astounding. Miss Adams' mother had thrown her out when she got pregnant. She was staying mostly at a downtown mission some nuns have set up. Nice enough place, I guess, if you got no place else to go. If Laverne knew who the baby's father was, she never told a soul. The sisters don't know why Laverne would have gone to 226 Cedar, or even if she had before. They try not to make so many rules that the girls feel like they have to run away from the mission. It's bad out there. So in their own way, they don't know much either. You know what would go with these sinkers? Bourbon. Yes? Yes. Two here. Girl gets shot in a ghetto. Not big news, I guess. Doesn't seem like there's much reason for anybody to care. But? But somebody cared about it enough to put 538 slugs into her. There's no robbery, no assault, no reason I can see to shoot her in the first place, and no reason in the world to keep shooting her unless you needed to be very, very sure that she was dead and the baby too. Oh, yeah? Two in the head and neck, three in the abdomen. How did this not make the papers? Too many euphemisms for one article. Black, unmarried, pregnant... Too many words to write around. The papers didn't run it because the papers didn't care. The papers didn't care because the readers wouldn't care. The readers wouldn't care because they'd skim the article and shake their heads and say, isn't it awful and someone should do something. They think these things just happen. Sometimes they do. No, they don't. Bullets don't just fly through the air at close range of their own volition and kill teenaged girls. People make them do that and people do things for a reason. Guns cost money. Bullets cost money. Anybody that had a reason to be in 226 Cedar didn't have money to throw away. They wanted this done. I don't think I have to ask if you'd had any luck. Nothing. Not a sound, not a whisper. Like she was never even there. Then I see a line in the ME's report I don't understand, so I get him on the horn. Laverne Adams was dark. She was real dark. The baby? Not so much. It wouldn't have passed, he says, but there was a significant difference in the pigmentation between mother and child. Sometimes that's the way that it happens. You an expert? I am not. Neither was the M.E. I told him to find somebody that was. The next day, the calls started. My precinct captain, 
the commissioner's office, the mayor's office, the commissioner himself. Every day, somebody new calling me up and telling me to let it go. Said I was taking it personal. Move on. It's not bad advice. I've given it more than once, and I've needed it pretty often too. This ain't like that, Lieutenant. It's pretty clear this one's been giving you a bad time. If you'd have seen her, if you'd have been the one that took the call, you wouldn't let it go either. There's something screwy about this. Something wrong about this. I can't walk away. But you've been ordered to. In so many words, yesterday. The investigation hasn't been closed, but homicide is off it. I'm off it. Homicide's off it. Who's on it? Nobody gives a damn. Except you. Except me, and I'm stonewalled. So what happens now? You get thirty-five a day. What? Thirty-nine plus expenses. The department is outsourcing murder now. Not the department. Me. I got a week's worth at thirty-five, and I don't got the expenses. Take my word for it. That's all I can raise. All right, done. Wait a second. This is wrong for all sorts of reasons. Oh, come on. You're in a bad place right now. I can't take your money. Everybody says there's nothing to find. Maybe there's nothing to find. You can't let this stuff eat away at you. Ha! <laughs> You're a fine one to talk. I caught you with the Moretti file the other day. That's different. Moretti. Stanley Moretti, the poisoner. Alleged poisoner. Tried, convicted, and executed poisoner. Actually. How long ago was that? This is my point. We'll see what we can turn up, Vic, and we'll do it quietly. And so it began. Sabian left us with a copy of the police report. It was thick as a phone book, the phone book of a very small town in the Midwest somewhere, maybe. But still, it wasn't hard to see why Mucky Mucks in the department might think the good lieutenant was taking this personally. He'd had his men out canvassing for weeks, talking to scared, hostile people that didn't know a thing and wouldn't talk if they did. We stopped by the scene of the crime. To say that the two of us stood out on Cedar Street was putting it mildly, but we found number two twenty-six all right. There were buzzers at the front that didn't look like they'd worked since before the war, but the security door was propped open with a chair, and that appeared to be the usual arrangement. We ran into a fair amount of traffic coming up the front stairs, but once we were up on six, we could see that two doors down from six eighteen, there was a set of fire stairs that were quiet as the grave and ran all the way down to a back door with a busted lock. This was good and bad. It meant that Sabian's conspiracy theories weren't completely blown out of the water. But it did also mean that we had just narrowed down the list of possible suspects to the entire city and surrounding environs. It didn't take more than a few seconds to work the lock on six eighteen. The room had been stripped since the police seal had been taken from the door, and whatever furnishings had made the room look inhabited when Laverne Adams was discovered were long gone. It was just an empty room. Having absolutely no better ideas, Old Square Jaw and I did exactly what Sabian's bulls had done. Knocked on doors, talked to people, had doors shut in our faces. We were only two to the dozens that Sabian had on the job, which meant not only were we getting nowhere, we were getting there a lot slower. By the time Jack met me at the sandwich place on the second day, he was starting to get a little discouraged. I quit. Don't get excited. I mean it. I've had it with this. Do you know how many times I've been called whitefish today already? And that's just the one I can say without getting kicked out of the lunch counter. This is pointless. I was thinking the very same thing. The people that didn't know anything six weeks ago know even less now, and it's impossible to tell them from the ones that know something and won't say. You're right. We're just going over the same ground Sabian did, and not even doing as good a job of it. I agree. So we're off the case. No. I hate you. No, not you. Don't go away. I'll have the chicken salad on toast with extra onion and a coffee. Black. Thanks. Friendly place. Nobody wants us here. I don't even want us here. 
If Sabian wanted a better canvas, why didn't he go to a black private eye? Maybe he didn't know any. What about Jim Rutherford at Quince's? Maybe he didn't trust any. What about old Teddy Spence, most honest man in the business? Maybe he didn't give a damn about the canvas. What? You saw what I saw back at 226. Odds are the shooter came up the back stairs. Odds are Laverne came up the back stairs, too. We could get Paul Robeson and Jackie Robinson to do the canvas. Odds are we'd still come up goose eggs. Then what? Sabian didn't bring us in to check his work for him. His new theory is that the father was white. White and presumably eager not to father a child by an underage black girl. And since Papa had already failed to exercise that option when it counted, he took matters into his own hands. So he furnished the room that wasn't supposed to be his... What, a love nest? Could be. If that room was rented on the slide to a white man, you think the super at 226 would protect him? I do not. So what then? Look, it's not my theory, it's Sabian's. But he hired us to follow it up. And whose fault is that? Oh, come on. I mean it. I've seen this kind of thing before. This case has got him, and it's got him bad. I don't know if there's any way we could help him get through it, but taking his money to chase his wild geese for him doesn't seem like the milk of human kindness to me. If we can find Laverne Adams' killer... Stop it! You saw the crime scene pictures, Jack. You think it wouldn't get to you? Another on the long list of reasons I'm not a cop. Look, when a man gets dragged down by a case this bad, it can affect his judgment. It affects everything. My old partner called things like this an albatross. A thing you can't forget that hangs around your neck forever. This is the old partner that you shot? So it's a particularly ironic example, yeah. Maybe it's enough if we run a few yards with his theory. If it turns out that there's nothing to it, at least he saw it through. Did what he could. Maybe. So, for the sake of argument, Laverne Adams was having a baby with a white man. Where in blazes did she find one of those around here? We need to find out more about who she was before. Any word from the mother? Only that her little girl was dead to her when she ruined her life. I don't think she knows a thing. And this is how she hides her shame about that. Well, somebody must know something. Let's hope that the killer isn't the only one. Or this isn't going to end well for Miss Adams. Or for Sabian. You are listening to Blackjack Justice from DecoderRingTheater.com. I grew up in a small town in the middle of nowhere. My world was defined by its borders, its landmarks... I grant you, the ten miles to the next outpost of civilization tended to restrict the movements of the young folks, but in spite of the fact that she had lived every day of her life in the big, bad city, Laverne Adams' world wasn't any bigger. Neither she nor her mother ever owned a car. The city buses that ran through the Meadowview District could have carried her into a world vastly different to the one in which she lived, but she wouldn't have found it welcoming. Many of those businesses would have viewed her with suspicion or hostility because of her skin, And those that wouldn't have would define their worldview as, I don't care from black or white, as long as they have the green. Laverne Adams did not have the green. In its own way, Meadowview was a small town, as isolated as the one I'd left behind was. The people who inhabited that world with her wouldn't talk to white cops, and didn't see us as anything all that different. But Sabian had hired us because he figured that the girl, Laverne, had a secret. And finding the key to that secret meant finding out where or when she stepped over the borders of her little world and just who might have found her when she did. At last, on the third day, we caught a break. Laverne Adams had been staying at a mission run by some well-meaning nuns whose official spokesister had nothing to contribute to the investigation. The girl detective found a much less official line. 
Sister Claire probably wasn't as mousy as she seemed. She met us in a coffee shop ten blocks from the mission and checked over her shoulders a dozen times to make sure that she wasn't being observed. I had no idea nuns lived such interesting clandestine lives. I'm sorry to make you come all the way out here, but as I told Miss Dixon, Sister Margaret wouldn't like me talking to you. Why not, if it helps solve the murder of one of your girls? Sister Margaret would say that there is now nothing anyone can contribute that could prevent the murder of Laverne Adams, and that punishment is best left to God. She feels that we cannot help the girls who come to us if they feel that we will tell their secrets to the police. We're not the police. I know, but they wouldn't see the distinction. I know it might seem naive to you, but it is difficult work, and we can't afford to give up any advantage. These girls are fragile, ashamed. They all see their lives as something close to hopeless, they can't imagine taking care of a child, and they have no means of support. If we can save even one... Do you save many? No, I suppose we don't. We help them as best as we can for as long as we can, but in the end, they're in God's hands. You dropped the ball with Laverne. That's unfair, and I believe that you know it is. To blame him for the act of an evil man is to deny free will. Well, we can't have that. What can you tell us about Laverne? She was special. That's... That's why I had to talk to you. She was so bright. So hopeful that her life could be something more than it had been so far, even with a baby. She have any plan in particular? <laughs> she had lots of plans. Most of them seemed quite fantastic, but she threw her heart into each of them. But it wasn't just talk. She she tried things. Things that most girls her age from a poor background never would. For instance? Well, I remember her telling me about working on the last election, locally. She was knocking on doors, handing out pamphlets. It really inspired her to be part of something larger than herself. What campaign was it? Oh, I don't know, I'm afraid. A councilman. Mr. Chapman would know. Who's Mr. Chapman? Lawrence Chapman. He's a community organizer. He works to get young people in the Meadowview District involved in the community, in politics especially. Laverne said he was very successful with the last campaign. The Meadowview turnout was a big part in carrying the election. They won? Oh, yes. Oh, she was still so proud. Peter Green's ward includes Meadowview. Green, yes. That was the name. Laverne still have any contact with Lawrence Chapman? I think so. Though it, it isn't the sort of thing we really encourage, so she didn't feel as free to talk about it. Oh, she was such a dear girl. Is there anything else I can tell you? We shook our heads, thanked her for her time, and let her off the hook. It played. It didn't sing and dance, but it played. Councilman Green had won his seat by the skin of his teeth, but it was his now and his office was highly enough placed. If Lawrence Chapman had played a part in that victory, it made sense that he might still work for Green. And if Green's community organizer told him that the police were upsetting the voters of Meadowview with their investigation, it just might be enough heat to shut down Sabian's investigation. It played, but only because we really, really wanted it to. We needed something to hang our hats on before we could go to Sabian. Right now, we had a pocket full of nothing. But if we went to Chapman, he might turtle and run. Or worse, he might bring down still more heat on Sabian, 
and he was too close to full pension for me to do that to him without good reason, even if he didn't give a damn about that right now. The Green Campaign was where the Adams girl stepped out of her little world. Chapman had the connections and the influence to fit the black hat, if you'll excuse the obvious and unintentional pun. But somehow we had to tie Chapman to the place where Laverne's world ended. We stopped at a drugstore, and I telephoned the super at 226 Cedar Street. Told him I had orders from Lawrence Chapman to pick up the last of his belongings from the sixth floor, and when would he be available to open the door for me. The super informed me curtly that all of Mr. Chapman's furnishings had already been picked up, and that he had supervised the move himself. If there was anything missing, it must have been my company that lost it, and Mr. Chapman knew that he could be trusted. I apologized and hung up. We had our answer. Lawrence Chapman. Lawrence Chapman. Yes. He had the connection with the girl and the influence to shut you down. Lawrence Chapman. The room was his, Vic. You drag the super in here, he'll spill eventually. What's this? Lawrence Chapman's file. Why does he have a file? Why do people usually have a file on my desk? Oh, no. Lawrence Chapman was mugged last night. Maybe he tried to run, maybe he recognized his mugger. Maybe it's just another one of those things that happens in Meadowview. Maybe it's just desserts for Laverne Adams. Yeah, I have one little problem with your stupid theory. See the crime scene photos? Oh. Yeah. Hmm. Lawrence Chapman was a little blacker than I would expect the white father of Laverne Adams' baby to be. He really was. Let me see that file. It still plays. Was he married? Not married, no family. He could have lost a job in Councilman Green's office. He didn't work for Green. He worked for the campaign, but he wasn't on staff. He freelanced, organized for other events, causes. I'm sure he still had contact with Green, but I'm not sure I buy him having this much influence. There isn't an election on right now, is there? Forgive her. If I get the puzzle, she doesn't get to read the paper at all. Drop dead ape. It was a rhetorical question. My point is, if there's no election, what kind of freelancing is Chapman doing that he has 500 bucks on him? What? Yeah, I saw that. His wallet was gone, but the thief missed five $100 bills folded up in his inside jacket pocket. Which he got how? I don't know. I do know nobody saw the shooter, nobody saw it go down. Chapman got two in the back and was dead before anybody found him. Two what? Shots? Yeah, 38. Same caliber as the girl. I warned you about calling her that. You know how many 38s there are in the city? You're a police lieutenant. You can't do a little better than that? I could try and get ballistics to compare the slugs from the Chapman killing to the ones took out of Laverne Adams, but the odds are good they'd call the commissioner as soon as I got off the phone. I'm on the outside, and that's the way it's going to stay if we don't get something good. Yeah. So we better get right on that. I got parking tickets that need fixing. Who are you calling? Yes. Could you connect me to Councilman Green's office, please? Thank you. I think I hate this. Yes, hello. I wonder if I might speak to the councilman. Of course he is. May I leave a message? Thank you. Just tell Councilman Green that the gentleman who is taking over from Lawrence Chapman called, and would he please meet me this evening at 9 o'clock? No, I'm quite certain that he will find the time. No, no number. Just tell him to meet me at 226 Cedar Street. Thank you. What did you just do? Let's find out, shall we? Come in. Councilman Peter Green, I presume. You look taller on your posters. 
Everybody does. <laughs> Do I know you? The name's Justice. Jack Justice. Would you like to sit down? Thank you. Prefer to stand. Just as well? Mr. Chapman had all of the furniture cleared out before he died. Yes, I heard about that. It was a terrible thing. Positively tragic. Councilman Green, allow me to introduce my associate, Miss Dixon. Trixie, please. Two of you? Safety in numbers. I don't feel comfortable coming up to your little love nest without a chaperone. What are you talking about? I've never been here before in my life. Then how did you know to come up to room 618? Mr. Justice didn't mention that in his message. Uh... I knew Lawrence kept a room here. He spoke of it sometimes. Lots of guys share the full address of their hidden dens of iniquity. Besides, why wouldn't Chapman have taken the girl to his apartment? He lived alone. What girl? What girl? See how good he is, Tricks? He's very good. Very, very good. We mean Laverne Adams, one of Chapman's recruits. In more ways than one. Bright girl, worked on the campaign. Perhaps you remember getting her pregnant? This is preposterous. No bluffing, Pete. No dancing, no filibustering. We know. And even if we can't prove it, you think we can't find a paper to run with it? You think if we turn your life upside down, we won't find a disgruntled former staffer who'll swear that Councilman Green had a thing for young girls, the blacker the better? I don't think this is your first rodeo, though it might be the first time you ever resorted to murder. Murder? I'm going to smack that little smirk off his face soon. You can't prove anything. We don't need to exceed reasonable doubt, Green. We aren't the law. I told your girl who we are. We are the folks that are taking over from Lawrence Chapman. So it's to be blackmail? It is. Chapman was getting 500. We get the same. Each. Each? Are you out of your minds? How am I supposed to come up with that kind of money? I don't care where you get it, Pete. Just get it or you're finished. Maybe. Maybe there's another way. Nice little 38 he's got there, Jack. It really is. How much would you bet it's the same one he shot Laverne and Chapman with? Laverne was a sweet girl. I felt bad about that. But she just didn't understand. She insisted on having the baby. She didn't understand. I'd have taken care of everything. She'd have been looked after just like... Just like all of the others? Think we could find any of those girls, Jack? You won't be finding anyone. And then Chapman stepped forward. He'd not only run your campaign in Meadowview, he'd arranged for your little private room here. Handled the introductions... But he drew the line at murder. He drew the line at nothing. If he objected to what happened to the Adams girl, he'd have called the police. But he kept quiet, paid off the super to keep mum, and then he named his price. But it never would have been enough. I'd have never been free. And now it's over. Now, <laughs> now Meadowview claims two more tragic victims. It'll be hard to keep this out of the papers. Both victims are white, after all. But in the end... The electorate will remember that they don't really care about anyone who would be in such a terrible place. It's also very sad. Somebody should really do something. I've heard enough. Finally. What? Freeze it, Green. Don't move a muscle. I'm dropping the gun. I said freeze! Point the gun at the ceiling and keep perfectly still. Oh, God. Played it a little close there, Vic. You two keep back. What's happening? You're under arrest. I didn't say that. Sabian? Sabian? Yeah, that cop. Not tonight, Green. Sabian, not like this. Here's how we're going to play this. I'm going to step back here. And I'm going to lower my gun arm. In a minute, I'm going to yell, Police, drop the gun. Loud. So the whole building can hear. Oh, God. Please. And that's your big chance, Green. 
Your only way out of here, through me. It's no kind of chance at all, but more than you gave that little girl. Help me! Shut up! Sabian! You stay out of this, Justice! You did good, now just shut up a minute! We got a murder weapon and witnesses to a confession, Vic. And we all know there's a chance he walks away. There won't be a single person on his jury that gives a damn about Laverne Adams or her baby. If it happens, we'll settle his hash then. And I say we'll do it now! Police! Drop the gun! Oh, God! Turn around. Do it, please! Sabian, if you want to splatter this scumbag's brains, I'm not going to stop you. We're not going to squawk, and we won't even think any less of you afterwards. If you kill Green because you reckon he deserves it, or because you don't trust the courts, or even just because you think Laverne Adams would want you to, that's fine with me. But if you're doing it so you won't have to see her lying on the floor when you close your eyes anymore, don't bother. It doesn't work that way. You'll only add this piece of garbage to your worries. One more albatross around your neck. But it's up to you. Go call the station. And some reporters. Before this is done, Green, I'll make you wish you tried to take that shot. And that was how it went. It was all over the papers, but Sabian was a good soldier. He never said a word against his superiors. They pinned a medal on his chest for that one. I went to the ceremony. I've never seen a grown man look more uncomfortable. Green got life, which probably seems generous to some, but something told me that the prison yard wouldn't be the safest place for him. And that should have been the end of it. Except two days after the trial ended, Sabian walked into the office, threw a police file on my desk, and sat down in the client chair. I opened it. It was the Moretti poisoning. A complete file that I'd never been able to get my hands on. I didn't see anything new, just the state's evidence that Stanley Moretti had poisoned his neighbor, Clarence Dobbs. But then I saw the suicide note Mrs. Dobbs had left. Everyone assumed that she had killed herself out of grief for her husband. There wasn't supposed to have been a note. But there was. In it... Mrs. Dobbs told the complete story of her four-year affair with Stanley Moretti and how she helped him plan her husband's murder. The DA had sat on it, got his conviction without it, so the Dobbs' children would still have the memory of their mother. I read the whole thing twice. Then I handed it back to Sabian and he left. Never said a word. Stanley Moretti was guilty. I'd been wrong all these years... And there wasn't anything I could have done to save him. It was like a weight lifted off my shoulders that had been there for so long it had almost become a part of me. There were more. More than I can clear in a lifetime. But that one was gone. I hoped Sabian would be free of his one day. It was a nice feeling. Blackjack Justice, episode 40, The Albatross, was written and directed by Greg Taylor and starred Christopher Mott and Andrea Lyons, with additional voices supplied by Clarissa Dunetterlanden, Peter Nickel, and Greg Taylor. This recording and the story, characters, and situations depicted within are the property of their author and creator and protected by copyright. Until next time, remember, DecoderRingTheater.com is your address to adventure. (laughs) 
There's a new radio station coming to your town. Everybody knows about talk radio, but not everybody likes talk radio. It's too right wing. It's too left wing. Oh, you moron. It's always an idiot. Starting soon on a station near you, the radio format you've been waiting for. It's not talk radio. It's shut up radio. Just give a listen. Let's go to the phones. You're on shut up radio. Let's talk about taxes. Let's not. Next caller. Congress has just passed a bill that's gonna... Ah, shut up. You shut up. You shut up. Make me. I don't make garbage. I burn it. Yes, it's shut up radio. It's not conservative. It's not liberal. It's a breath of fresh air. And what's your beef, caller? I have no beef. I just wanted to say hi. Finally, a caller with nothing on his mind. Go ahead. Hi. Shut up, Jabberjaw. When talk radio gets on your nerves, switch to shut up radio. They have no opinions on anything. Remember, a station that's apathetic is a pathetic station. Thanks for calling Shut Up Radio. We'll have less after this. 